Hello, hello, hello. This is Jay and it's She Is Awesome podcast. In this episode, I had the absolute honor to interview Rene Elliott, the founder of Planet Organic and Beluga Bean, author and multi-award winning entrepreneur. Rene was listed as one of the 50 most impactful social innovators, Britain's 100 most entrepreneurial women and London's 1,000 most influential people. Imagine that. She has won Business Women of the Year awards and many more. And on top of all this, Rene is also mother of three children. What? <laughs> How did she do all of it? Yeah, ladies, buckle up for this episode because she's like superwoman. So Rene entered my life at an event where she was the speaker. I was sitting and watching her with awe. And, you know, she does not know this, but she had a pivotal impact in my life. I listened to her talk and at this International Women's Day event, I don't know, it was like four or five years ago. And after that, I was going to Turkey and that's when... I approached my first investor and three weeks after I had raised my first funds for Academy for Women Entrepreneurs. So that kind of impact, right? I'm talking about that kind of impact. And in this episode, Rene gave me literally the high of a two days of self-development retreat, you know, like it's so mind-opening to talk to her. Her wisdom, humility, kindness is breathtaking. And I was hooked at every single sentence that she was just saying in the podcast. So I know, guys, that you are in for a treat. Have fun. Welcome to the She Is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles, and thoughtful conversations offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hi, Rene. Welcome to the She's Awesome podcast. Hi, thank you, Jay. Great to see you. Great to see you too. It's an honor and a dream of mine to have you on my podcast. I'm so excited. And I'm just going to start with my classical question. Can you please tell us how did you end up being the awesome entrepreneur you have been? <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Um, well, it's a long story, but it kind of started, I think what's interesting is a point when I was 19, where when I think, where did this all begin? Obviously, it started in my formative years as well, influences from my parents and eating and food. But when I was 19, I really came to this understanding that I'd had a very innocent childhood. I was very naive, you know, beautiful family. But I read a book when I was 19 about the meat industry in America. And I had no idea. You know, when you're a child, you think everyone's nice and the world is beautiful. And then you grow up and you think, oh gosh, you know, that was not exactly as it is. It was kind of that loss of innocence at 19 when I read mm. this book about the meat industry because it was about how awfully they treat the cattle, how they kill them, how they're polluting the land, how they feed them. And I was so shocked because I realized no one was looking after my best interests. No one was looking after my health, that the meat industry, the government who sent those regulations wasn't creating food that was for my well-being. They were creating food that was affordable, that 
you know, all kinds of things, but it wasn't the best quality food for me. And that shocked me so much. I realized that I had to do my own research, that I wasn't going to look to the government for my health advice or much else. And I was so shocked I became a vegetarian because organic meat then was not an option and I could Mm -hmm. no longer see meat as a healthy option. But that then started this thinking for me of conventional wisdom isn't smart. I want a better life. I want better food. I want better relationships, better communication. I started to look at all these areas of my life and think, I want better. And better didn't mean what most people were doing. It didn't mean Mm -hmm. conventional. It meant alternative, looking for a different path, looking for more natural ways, a stronger connection with the earth, all of that. So I finished my, this is when I was at university, finished my degree, came to England on a backpacking tour with my sister and met a guy on a night bus (laughs) on Lower Regent Street. I've told this story a few times. I call him bus guy. And I didn't think it was a holiday romance. So I went back. I still had a year at uni. I went back, finished my degree and moved to England so I could date him. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. When I was at uni studying this and read this book, I was an English major. I was also studying nutrition. So I thought, well, I can go date this guy for a couple of years and then go back to America and figure out what on earth I'm going to be when I grow up. So I came here and on my first day at work, I realized also along with those notions about well-being and being on this alternative path, I hate being told what to do. Yeah, I started my job and I'm like, okay, (laughs) great, but oh, I hate being told what to do. I know a lot of people don't like it. I really struggled with that. But also I realized when I could see this whole life of work stretching ahead of me, which until then I hadn't really thought about, you know, I was having a ball at university. I thought, oh my God, I have to love what I do or I'll die in like five years or so. So (laughs) then I thought, okay, so I have to have my own business and it has to be something I'm really passionate about because I'm a really passionate person. But I didn't know what that was. So I worked, I had various jobs. I had a great time. I worked in the wine trade became a professional wine taster. That was fun. Traveled Europe, all that. And then by the time I was 28, which is when a lot of people figure out what they want to do, it's your Saturn return in astrology. I'd married the bus guy by this point. The bus (laughs) guy is your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We've been together for so long. And we actually ended up running Planet Organic for 10 years together as well. Although it's my business. And I said to him, it's my business. And if it doesn't work, you're going to go. But anyway, (laughs) we've been together for such a long time. But by 28 years old, we got married and we decided to go to America and do this six-month program, very intense program in personal development, in Mm self-awareness. And it was based on two things, A Course in Miracles and Rebirthing, which were very powerful. And at the end of that course, I had come across the idea of a health food supermarket, organic supermarket, because I'd seen it in Boston and in Mm. Connecticut. And I was very clear that I had the confidence to do that. Now, I'm not from privilege. I don't have the best education. I'm not the smartest kid. I don't have the highest IQ. But A, my dad had always said to me, you can do what anyone else can do. And I was naive enough to believe him. And also having done this course and realized that I could change, you know, I really believe that anything's possible. The only thing holding us back is our thoughts. Mm. So then it becomes, well, how do I manage those thoughts or how do I change them? And this course and work that we did gave me tools to shift my thinking and change 
those negative patterns of thinking and behavior and free myself from them to come into my magnitude, which is how I saw it. So I thought, okay, I can start a business now, even though I'm a small town girl. I didn't go to an Ivy League university. I'm taking on the British supermarketing male you know, <laughs> establishment. But I had a really clear vision about from that thinking I'd started at 19, that we needed better and we needed a better way to eat and a better way to shop. And Planet Organic was the embodiment of that. It was creating a curated range of food where I care about people. So I care about your health. And I went out and found and you know, filled the supermarket with everything from the best quality meat, organic meat, even though I was still a vegetarian, to vegetables, to health and body care, to juice bar, wheatgrass juice, we brought that in. But it was to give you the best possible opportunity for health. And the mission became to promote health in the community. And that still is the mission today. So it was a stumbling journey, you know, and I didn't open Planet till I was 30. I'm a late starter. But it really came from that belief in self. And also this feeling that I really believe that we, being on the earth, is an enormous gift. And our bodies are the biggest gift that we have in this life. So you take care of your body. But what do we do with that gift of life? And I believe that we come to the earth with a purpose, that mm. we can figure that out. That's incredibly fulfilling and inspiring. So I believe this was my purpose, to be in work that was of service and do a good thing. And you know, a lot of people say, I want to make a contribution and leave the world a little better than when I found it. And that from a spiritual perspective, that's a very powerful motivator for me. Mm. What a story. Can we rewind back a little bit? Because I'm, I'm, I like to get to the details. So the first planet organic, where was it? Westbourne Grove. That was my first baby. First baby. And do you remember the first, of course you do. Do you remember the first day? Absolutely. It was absolute chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Tell we me more about that. God, we were a freaking mess. You know, we had no idea. So I had a business partner. And what was interesting was my best girlfriend, Julia, was working with me to help me out, help me get the business going and the store open. And my dad was over from America, Aww. which was amazing. So we have, I feel choked up just thinking about it. We have this photograph of the first day, the opening when we cut the ribbon. And my dad's in the photo, I know, and my best friend. So, but we were a wreck. We had decided we were going to open that day. We had already delayed it a couple of times because we were struggling even just to load all the products onto the computer system because we wanted to be a fully scanning store. So when you went in, there were sections of health and body care because there are so many items in health and body care. And I think we opened with about, I don't know, 7,000, 6,000 lines. No. So it, was, it was a big store, 5,000 square feet. So there were sections of health and body care that were covered in plastic sheeting because they weren't on the system. You couldn't buy them. I mean, it was so Mickey Mouse. And then I remember, and I can't remember the detail of this, but I remember on the day something happened with the tills and the tills weren't working. So oh, shit. Boxes of <laughs> change and people, I mean, it was a mess. It's so embarrassing when I think back. But, you know, it doesn't matter. And it's such a funny thing because I look at that now and I think you learn by these kind of crazy, dumb situations. And, right? and it's all about 
having fun. You know, if you're really serious and that becomes really stressful, yeah. but if you can be lighthearted about it and think, okay, you know, how are you? It's all about problem solving. I think then you can just kind of sail through stuff. Like, even though I think we were chaotic for years, because as soon as we opened planet was like a galloping horse that we were trying to keep up with without a lot of experience. You know, I'd run a health food store, but I'd not run a business. Yeah. So, yeah. And like every entrepreneur I've spoken to says, you know, I have imposter syndrome because I have an idea, but I don't know how to do all this other stuff. But that's true of every entrepreneur. You have to do everything and you have mm. to learn fast. Mm. So it's a crazy roller coaster of a journey. It is. Oh my God. I mean, I can only. So I don't know if you know this, Rene, but we have three stores. In, so my husband has a business oh, that I am. Nice. Yeah. So we have a doggy daycare business and we have three, well, two, and we're opening the third one. Wow. Stores that are groomers and, and they, they also have retail in it. And I mean, I'm talking about tiny little places, with, you know, like maybe a couple hundred of lines, you know, oh, that's wow. it. <laughs> And I, and I know how, how difficult is that. And, and it's just mind-blowing what you have done. So tell me about this. So, of course, it's a big store. I'm presuming that you raised funds or was it your partner well, who brought the funds? How yeah. did that go at the beginning? That's an interesting question. And when you say, you know, it is really hard and it's really big, it's true. And one of my skills, and this can be really key for entrepreneurs, depending on the business, is I surrounded myself with amazing people. I had an incredible team. I always say, know yourself, be yourself, manage yourself. I knew myself and that meant knowing my weaknesses. So mm -hmm. I hired really great people. So I didn't try and do it all. I was very good at delegating. But yeah, at the beginning, so I had been saving to start a business, but I'd saved a bit of money, but what happened was my partner and I each put in 50,000 pounds. So this was in 95, okay, mm. just to put people back where we were. And then we raised another 400,000 from pretty much my partner's family and friends because we tried to raise money. And well, actually the first person to invest was my girlfriend, Julia. And we were standing on the sidewalk doing market research. And she said, Renee, I, I have some money and I'd like to invest. And I said, I said, no, you don't want to invest. And she said, yeah, I want to invest. I said, no, I said, it's so high risk. You know, I'm, you know, I'm betting everything on this, but it could absolutely flop. And I, I was opening planet knowing that I thought I'm 30 years old. If it flops, I can do something else, but I have to do this. And she said, no, no, I want to invest. So she was the first one to commit to investing which is really sweet. And she's still an investor today. But the other investors were my partner's family and friends. And that 500,000 just opened the first store. That was the of fit course. out and buying the stock for the first store. Wow. And then we ran it without investment for a while. And then, you know, things changed. Oh my God. <laughs> it's 95, Rene. I mean, like you literally revolutionized the supermarket <laughs> arena, right? Because I remember, like, I'm I'm from Turkey. Back then I was in Turkey. So we didn't have these big supermarkets up until maybe that date, you know, like 95, wow. almost 2000. We didn't have those big supermarkets. Wow. We didn't have that much of processed food back then. Yeah. It was a little bit less you know, at least what I like remember, or maybe my family was m more in the like eating well. 
But then, you know, 95 was, let's say, the supermarket and all that processed, easy to cook, chuck it in the microwave Mm -hmm. time. And then you come there, like literally, like from the countryside kind of thing. Here, now you got to cook your food. (laughs) That's revolutionizing. How did that go? Like, how did you actually manage to talk about it? Yeah. Well, I think if I'd really thought about it, I would have been too scared to do it. But I had such a vision of transformation and, you know, creating something better that it didn't stop me. But yes, we were actually selling what we called dirty carrots because dirty carrots that have dirt on them are fresher and sweeter. And, but anyway, yeah, no, it was a disaster when we opened. (laughs) (laughs) We were a little too early. So we opened in November and I had done a course. This was so interesting. I'd done a course in how to start a business. So I knew how to write a business plan. And that was so important for me. Because when I started that course, I didn't know what a PL was. You know, I didn't know a lot of things. So I learned a lot. And we wrote a business plan that I still have the original business plan, which is really funny. <laughs> and um, but I missed the bit about raising enough money to pay your wages first month's wages for your team. <laughs> Oops. Jeez. I just thought, oh, we'll make the money out of cash flow. And I did really think we would trade better. But we opened and we had planned this big press party and nobody came. And then nobody came and shopped. So November was awful. And then December came and my husband had gone off as well. And I would always come home and talk to him about the business. He'd gone off to Zimbabwe and I couldn't even speak to him. So I was like, oh God, you know, this is, we're going down. And then all these final bills came in. So the bills came in from the, for the stock that we purchased, the final contractor's bill came in, which was big. You know, it was like 50 grand. It wasn't a few thousand. And I had to pay the team and I thought, oh shit, what do I do? So the whole industry gave us extended credit. And the architect took shares, which was so funny. So we kind of muddled through and we got delayed payment. But then by the end of December, I was thinking, oh my God, this is awful. You know, no one was coming. And then you start getting wastage because we had a lot of fresh product. But we decided, you know, there was no internet. The internet had just started then as well. So my kids were hearing me tell this and they said, oh my God, mom, you opened Planet Organic in the olden days? because they were all born from 2000. And I said, well, not like Little House on the Prairie olden days, but (laughs) the internet kind of happened in 95. So there was no social media. It was advertising. It was press articles. It was an A board outside the shop and Mm. table talkers on the table and posters talking about what we were doing. But we had to get the word out. I had to get the story out that what we were doing was about better food and a better way to farm and sustainable agriculture and biodiversity and you'll feel better. And, you know, this makes sense and chemical farming doesn't make sense because people didn't know what they were eating. So we had this huge educational program to launch. And I didn't want to pay for advertising because I'd read Anita Roddick's book, Body and Soul, and she didn't advertise. And I thought, yeah, I don't believe in that, but I knew we needed editorial. So we had hired a PR company in December and they started in January. And we thought, great, we can tell our story, which I thought was very Mm -hmm. compelling. And then in February, there was the first mad cow disease scare. BSE hit the press and our meat counter took off on the back of that. Uh, So our sales went 
And I thought, how interesting that I've been saved by the meat counter. (laughs) (laughs) And then later that year, you know, I don't know how old people are listening to this, or if you remember this, if people were even in England, it was when Edwina Curry was in office. And then there was the big E. coli scare. Yeah. And our sales jumped again. And I thought, oh, nothing like a food scare to create new awareness because people would learn. And what I realized also is fear doesn't create lasting change. So fear made people stop eating meat. But then if they don't raise their awareness or educate themselves about meat and then better meat, which is organic, they don't change. But our sales went up and they went up again. And then we were off. So our first year out of Westbourne Grove, we did 1.2 million. And our second year, we doubled to 2.4. And I thought, holy cow, (laughs) you know, we're, it is holy cow, we're off and running. But in those first couple months, I thought we were going under. Wow. Amazing story. And Mm -hmm. what an amazing way that you found to, you know, pay debts through shares and all that stuff. Amazing. So inspiring. Right. That was the Planet Organic. But right now you are still shareholder, but you are no longer managing Planet Organic, but you have another baby. Tell me more Ah, about that baby. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I do. So I had to move on, even though when I set Planet up, I thought I would do it forever. But, you know, we had shareholders, things changed. We had to bring a new investment and the whole horizon changed for me. And then I thought, oh my gosh, what now? Because Planet was a roller coaster and it was amazing. But I thought, you know, I was older at this point and I thought, I just want more ease and joy. I want want it to be really um, more peaceful than that. So I thought about what I really love and what I've ended up doing is I've started a company called Beluga Bean in uh, 2017. And that came from starting to mentor startups. So I've always done a lot of public speaking. And from that came primarily women coming to me and saying, will you mentor me on the business planning, on the strategy, on running my startup or small business, you know, any kind Mm -hmm. of small business. And At first I thought, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I don't know what that means, but I leaned in because when the universe is saying, you know, here, here's abundance, here's opportunity. I think you, you accept that. It's always about when things come to you. So I started mentoring and then I created a course on the business planning process. And it's a course called Boss, which is Business Owners Support and Strategy. And the reason it's support and strategy is it is the business planning and there are 10 modules. You know, we start with values, then it's customer, competition, brand. It's not just financials, mm-hmm. marketing and legals, logistics, and team. It's everything. But paired with every module in the plan is a section of self-awareness and personal development. Mm-hmm. Because I hear a lot of I lack confidence. I'm not sure I believe in myself. I have anxiety. I have imposter syndrome. And this work in self-awareness empowers you to be, again, I say, in your magnitude and know how to handle that negative thinking and that stress that hits you, how to cope with that so that you develop a business plan that is robust, but then you have the absolute confidence to execute that and then to run the business going forward. And it's so rewarding and powerful to work with women on that journey and support women on that journey. And I look back at when I was at Planet and I think, oh, I wish I'd had a mentor. (laughs) 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 I was all over the place. 
And within that, I also do workflow management, which is how to manage time and prioritize, which is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's one course. The second course is called Be Yourself. And that is, again, a year-long journey. And this is transformational development. And this really is what I referenced earlier. Know yourself. And I have mm-hmm. a framework to do that. Be yourself and then manage yourself. So how do you move through life with more ease and joy and be happier and more successful. And that course, Be Yourself, works through kind of was that awareness I had at 19, which is this whole sphere of well-being, which isn't what most people think. People think of well-being as physical or mental, Mm -hmm. or maybe both. But well-being is everything in your world. And your well-being, it's everything in your life. So it's not just about eating well. You know, when I talk about well-being and this Be Yourself is about improving that well-being, it affects your relationships, it affects your work, it affects your health. So it's physical, occupational, psychological, economic, social, and spiritual. And we work through those spheres in your life Mm. so that you have awareness and intention and you know how to put yourself back on track. So there's a practice that you take away where you can look at that circle of yours and know what you need to do at any given time. And that creates a great sense of calm and agency and energy in your life because you kind of know where you are. And then the third thing I'm doing, which is a new venture, which is I've referenced a couple of times today, my girlfriend, Julia, and she and I have worked together on and off over the years. She was the first investor in Planet. And she and I have both been on a journey of over our lives of looking, exploring just kind of that idea of we want to go beyond conventional wisdom. It's not providing us with the solutions we want in our life and the joy and answers that we've had about life and its challenges. So we've both been off on these journeys, exploring everything from personal development, meditation, yoga, alternative therapies, the arts. And we've developed these toolkits and methods that have transformed how we think and live, which means, you know, I'm not the person I was when I was 20. I am just in a completely different place. And I know how to manage difficult times and I know how to get through crisis as well in a very different way. And she and I have decided that it's time, it just feels right now to bring together a gathering of women on a retreat for four days. We've actually booked it in June. I'm kind of shy and excited about this. And it is about the questions that we're asking or the questions that it answers is about loving and cherishing your body and being. It's about trusting and believing in yourself and belonging to a supportive group of women who really sustain and lift you. So what we're saying is nourish. So are you feeding your soul and body? Fulfill. Are you on purpose? And do you have the confidence to live that life and belong, which is about finding your people who share these same values and beliefs and create a community of support? Mm. So very excited about that. (laughs) What was the name of it again? It's called Women Rising. Oh, love it. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much for giving the information. And folks, we would definitely put all the details, how you can reach Ernie. If you wanted to go to that magic retreat, all that on the show notes. Um, On that, so I know I've told you a little bit about this, but you had a really pivotal impact in my life when I first listened to a speech. And there were things that you said 
that I actually wrote and it's on my wall. That's been there and I have used it and I've always said it was by Renee, this is how I heard it, but this is really important. And I want to get back to this because this is what you're saying as well. And the first thing that you said, or one of the things that you said that really stuck with me, you said, and by the way, I just want to caveat this. You have three children, am I right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So you were back then the entrepreneur of a multimillion company, and you had three children, so you, you also had a family life, a very busy family life. And you said something that really stuck with me that I think everybody needs to hear and not just hear, but really digest and integrate, you know, and that was put your oxygen mask first. Yeah. It was literally written small fonts on a big white slide. And that's how it is on my wall because, Uh you know, it requires that kind of attention that you really need to read it. And this is what you are saying as well. So that was one thing. Keep that. After that, at the end of your speech, when we were asking questions, someone got up and said, what keeps you awake at night? And you said, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You said nothing can keep me awake at night because I have all my tools to process things. Tell me a little bit more about that. (laughs) Shall I start with the oxygen mask? Please. Okay. So it's funny. And I've been saying that for a long time. And I hear other people saying that now because what the stewardess says is so funny. You know, she doesn't say if there's a drop in cabin pressure and an oxygen mask falls, put it on the old lady next to you first. She does not say that. And it's interesting because I'm often talking to women and we are the biological caretakers. So we have a very strong, I'm not saying men don't have this, but women have it. You know, we have the uterus, we have breasts to feed our babies. Our bodies are made to take care of people. So we have a very strong physiological urge to do that. And It can be to the detriment of women. And I see that around me all the time. Men do it too. But just talking about women, it's so easy to subjugate ourselves and to give and to yield. It's very feminine. And that is beauty and there's strength in that. But if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't truly and sustainably show up for everything else and everyone else in your life. Because your well-being affects everyone you know and everything you do. Now, intellectually, we can hear that and think, oh, sure, of course. Okay. But then when it comes to it, if a friend is in need and we have something planned for ourselves, we'll usually cancel that thing and be with a friend. Or, you know, I can think of a million examples where we cancel our plans. But I really make a plea that you put yourself first. So we say in Beluga Bean, care of self first, not second, not third. And you have to remind yourself of that. You have to keep referring to self and saying, do I need to take care of myself in this instance? What do I need to do? And it's so important. And it's across those six areas of well-being. It's not just eating and sleeping and moving, although those things are really important. It's every area of your life. And I teach this and I have to remind myself Mm -hmm. probably daily 
because it's my instinct. And when I became a mother, it was awful. You know, it was wonderful and awful because I just kind of disappeared. Mm. You know, and I look back on those years, you know, and God love y'all if you've got young kids. It was so hard. I think I had PTSD from my <laughs> young. You know, I didn't sleep. I barely ate. I just worked like stink to take care of them and feed them and love them. And, and it's not good. You know, if I had taken better care of myself, and yes, there are only so many hours in a day and I really feel for young parents, but if I'd taken better care of myself, it would have been so much better, mm. you know, and now I really am able to do that. It's easier because they're teenagers, but still, I can't stress that enough. And part of that is trusting self. And that, that's that small, still voice inside of you. So when you're tired and you think, I'm just going to stay up and do that bit of work for my boss or for myself, or I'm going to do that for so-and-so, or I feel sorry for myself, so I'm going to have that glass of wine, or I'm going to watch that bit of Netflix. When your intuition is communicating with you, I'm tired. You trust that. You respect your body. You take that communication and you go to bed. And I've stood on stage and said to people, go to bed. <laughs> you know, how many people stay up too late? And that's a fundamental part of taking care of yourself. So care of self first. I could talk about that all day. Yes. And I guess I'm going to come back to something that you said as well. And it's really important. And, you know, like, do I do it 100%? Absolutely not. Mm. And I guess it's not about 100%, but it's about trying to put, set things that are sustainable that you can do as often, but even if it's little, as often as possible in my case. But what you said is it really, I think, relates to this as well. It's that support network. You said one of your skills is to find and surround yourself with great people. And I guess that is like from day one of your business, whether you are a freelance or whether, you know, mm. it doesn't matter. And this is like something that I learned the hard way is find a way, like you found your ways, you paid the architect with shares, find a way to pay people, you know, do service swap or whatever, but not enter under the entire load of business plus motherhood, plus giving care to other stuff in the family, household, mental workload, da 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 da, da. It's unsustainable and then when that happens then how do you look after yourself because you as you said you don't have time and I believe what are your thoughts on this I believe that you know surrounding yourself with great people creating that support network and becoming also support network of someone else mm -hmm. is the key to then say and this is also for me, and I am doing this to take care of myself so that I can pour more into others' buckets. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing I would say about that is it's about that, particularly when times are tough, but even in day-to-day -day life. Mm. Who's your support team? And, you know, I'm always saying to my mentees and my kids, and it's made the fundamental difference in my relationship with them as teenagers, I say, I'm your support team. Nothing I do should cause you stress. If it is, then there's a misunderstanding, you know, so we need to talk about it. And that can be also about kind of cleaning up your social circle and 
removing people who aren't supportive. And I had to do that when, after two years, I ended up in litigation with my partner. We ended up at trial. And I had to clean those people out of my life because the last thing I wanted to hurt in that moment was, I told you so, or whatever they were going to say, or, you know, those negative vibes, which you don't have time for. And if those people are your family, I'm, I'm sorry about that because you can't get rid of your family, but there are often people in our lives who aren't supportive. And there are two things I would say about that and about care of self. One is awareness, I believe, is the key to everything. And that's why it's a golden thread through all of the work I do. Because if you're not in awareness, you don't have choice. You're at the effect of whatever's going on. You know, you're counseling your dance session to do something for someone or to do more work, or you're just not in awareness. The moment you have awareness, you have choice. The moment you have awareness about you need support in something or you're struggling or you've gone off center, that's what it can often be. I've gone off center. I'm aware of that. What do I need to do to bring myself back into alignment? So awareness is one thing. And the other thing, a good barometer for whether something is good or not good in your life is energy. So it's valuable to look at everything in your life, including cooking, you know, what you eat, your social life, your work, your sport, everything. And the question is, does it give me energy? Does it fill me or does it take away? Mm. Because at the end of every day, you should have more. Mm. You shouldn't be in deficit. You should have more energy. And a lot of us and a lot of women, because they're giving, finish the day completely depleted. Mm. And you need to re- balance that so that you are strong and in your power and able to live your dream in the world. Mm. So well said. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I forgot the second question. You said oxygen mask and then you asked the second question. The second question. Now I forgot it. (laughs) Off on this tangent. I always do that. (laughs) She forgot it too. Excellent. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> there are people in, listening thinking, I really wanted you to answer that question. Send us an email. We'll send you back an email. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, <laughs> but I guess it was related to... It was related to well-being. Being. Yeah. So that was related. Right. So It's not 100%, but it's remembering. And that remembering comes from awareness. You know, when you say, gosh, you know, I haven't eaten or I haven't done something I need to do for myself. Sometimes I get up and I think, okay, today I really need to spend half an hour with my daughter. You know, yes, I have business and I have a report to do and blah, blah, but the most important thing to do. And that awareness keeps my life in balance, Hmm. which is so important and so difficult with all these competing priorities coming at us all the time. Yeah. And do you remember the first time you were you know, in front of the mirror, basically. And you said to yourself, this is not right. And got that awareness and made the choice. Interesting question. I think it was a lot of the personal development work I've done Mm. highlighted that for me because I wasn't in awareness before. I was so unconscious. And when you're unconscious, you're at the effects not only of yourself and the bad choices you're making, but you're at the effect of other people. Mm. So I think taking care of self in the deep way that I am at the moment occurred to me after children, when they were growing up. I kind of remember a point now that you said that where I thought, I don't know if I was looking in a mirror, but I was thinking, what about my life? 
you know, I was still working and I felt productive, but the children, and I love them to pieces, of course, and I'm so glad I had them and they're amazing. But I got to a point where I thought, I loved my life before I had children and it's gone. You know, I walked away from planet to raise my kids. It was a terrible choice to have to make, but I couldn't do both full on. So I took a backseat at planet for a while and raised my kids. And then I thought, you know, when they got older, when they became more independent, I remember thinking, I want my life back, you know, because Mm -hmm. I'd given my life to them because that's how I wanted to parent. So then I thought, all right, this has to change. (laughs) And my theme for this year is freedom. (laughs) But, you know, I love what you said, Renee, and I'm so thankful that you own this narrative because I've seen this. A lot of women go through that and then they feel guilty about it and they shut that voice and then they just kind of put it aside and then they become this really frustrated, really angry yes. mother as well. So, yes, resentful. And it's normal because you shut your core down basically. And you know, I think up until my child was six months old, up until that time, it would happen to me like these little tiny moments where I would actually be filled with fear and anxiety and be like, oh my God, all that freedom is gone. Like Mm. I was a free person. I didn't have to be worried. And I didn't know what worry was until my child was born. And then I started to become this completely maniac person who was literally like poking the child 100 times a day (laughs) to see if... You're breathing. (laughs) It's breathing. Yes, it's breathing. It's okay. Oh, shit. Now she's awake. (laughs) It was so horrible. And I remember thinking like, will I ever get rid of this like anxiety and get back to my life? And yes, like you get back to your life slowly, like, you know, more they're independent, more you get back your life. But I think owning that and then now, for example, for myself, it's in the mornings, I do my, you know, workout. I do it at home. I don't want to go to gyms and stuff. And Nina knows that and she is not allowed to come and, you know, bother mommy. Like she can be there, watch me, but she cannot climb on top of because I really want to get good workout out of my 40 minutes. And and now there are the boundaries set. And before I was actually feeling guilty that I was, you know, putting that boundary. And now she knows it. She comes there. She counts with me. You know, she helps me in her mind. And then she's like, you can do mommy. And then she goes away, but she knows that it's not time for me to play with her. And since I installed that with her, actually, it's much more fluid because I feel better than I am more available for her. I don't feel guilty that I didn't do my workout. It's, I guess, awareness and choice and boundaries, all that goes hand in hand, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's what I always say. Awareness gives you choice. If you're not aware, you're just unconscious. Awareness gives you choice and choice gives you freedom. And it's so incredibly powerful. And a lot of women, like you said, they give and that's a good thing, but then they go into resentment, which is not a good thing. And when you go into awareness around that, you need to either change your heart. So you do something without resentment. And if you can't, then you do something for yourself, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And guilt is such a wasted emotion. It's such a waste of energy. Yeah. It's just not worth doing. Yeah. You know, choose you, you know, keep the balance. 
so well said. I think if there is a title now coming to my like mind about this episode, it's going to be something around awareness and how it empowers you both in life, motherhood, but also entrepreneurship. Right. Are you ready for a few speedy questions? Oh, no. I always go blank. <laughs> I'll just sit here blank. <laughs> I've had other people do this and I'm like, oh, okay, pressure doesn't work for me. I'm blank. Okay, let's go. No, it's, this <laughs> What's is your this... favorite book? No, 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 not like that. It's a little bit more deep than that. So I was listening to Bruna Brown's podcast uh, wow. the other day and it was about regret. And Daniel Pink wrote a new book around regret. Yeah. And it's an amazing episode. Please listen to it. And it, they yeah. reframe regret and, you know, guilt and regret is not the same thing. Wow. And they were saying that regret is this amazing teacher. That is a little bit tough on you, but actually it gives you the best lessons and it has your best interest. So then I was like, of course, I'm going to ask this to run <laughs> <laughs> So what is the one regret, business regret that you have that actually you cherish? Like you actually think, you know what, it really taught me a lot. Hmm. Well, that's a tricky question because, and you may not like this answer, (laughs) but um, because I don't, nothing springs to mind. And I have obviously thought about this and I've been asked, you know, what's the biggest mistake you've made? I've been asked that. And maybe it is the same. And there are two times I made clanging errors in my business career. And it was when I didn't listen to my gut, where my gut was saying, don't do that. Don't go into business with this person or don't take money from that shareholder. But my head, and this is this, these words now send an alarm bell. My head said, it'll be okay it wasn't okay. <laughs> so, you know, I don't mind the journey that I took. That's fine. And I'm at peace with that. But the lesson I learned, which is what I think you're asking is mm. trust your gut. And that is not your head. It's your intuition. It's your heart. It's the small, still voice. It's your inner knowing, whatever you want to call it, but it's always right. And I always say to women, you know, what's best for you, for your business, and your children, if you have them. And yes, you can canvass the opinion of other people, but in the end, please do what your heart is saying because you have that inner knowledge and wisdom. So true. So true. And, you know, I'm a very rational and scientific mind. And of course, I had to geek it out and find why God, you know, why it actually... Um, really important. And it is. And there are actually scientific approaches on what is gut feeling and how our brains store information for us in our unconsciousness that actually is here to protect us. You know, the gut feeling comes from the little, you know, flinch that you saw on this person's eyes that you had seen before and you actually categorized it as lying or as not trustworthy, but your brain doesn't know it. It's unconscious part of your brain, which categorized it. And over the years and years and years, and it has also proven that women have more, I wouldn't say ability, I would have said something wrong, but yes, the ability to have that connection with those informations because they are more observant. They observe more 
the other humans and their environment. So, okay, amazing answer. So regret is basically not listening to your gut feeling. And you learn that. Okay. One last question, because I've heard that you saying this again during your talk, that meditation is a big part of your life and it's been for a big time, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Like how how it actually shaped you, your family, your business, and how it helps you? Yes. And I have been meditating for over 30 years. And I think you know, there are different kinds of meditation. So what I'm going to talk about now isn't necessarily about meditation in general. I know people who do forms of meditation only, or which it's a great thing, but only to relax or only to calm themselves. And that obviously is hugely valuable. I started with Vedic meditation, which is using a mantra to come back to stillness. Mm -hmm. Because when we sit in meditation, when we sit when we do anything, our mind is full of thoughts. You know, we have so many thoughts a day. It's terrifying. And a lot of those are negative, but it doesn't matter. A thought can be powerful and it's not necessarily true. And this is one of the things I teach. And I've, I have a sign up in my kitchen for my children that's been there since they were born that says a thought is not a fact. And that's why you can change these negative patterns of behavior because it is an effect. Even if 2 billion people think it, it's still a thought it's not reality. So with the kind of meditation I do, you sit in stillness and you sink into the transcendent. But when a thought comes, when you realize suddenly you're thinking a thought, you just let it be and you come back to the mantra. Now, I do a different meditation now, similar, but I just come back to the breath. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is easier, even though I did transcendental meditation for a really long time. And what that does for me, it's the same theme of awareness. You mm-hmm. come into awareness that there's a thought and you drop the thought or you let it be. You create distance with yourself and the thought. And what's so powerful about this is that you then take that into waking consciousness. So when you're in your day and you have a thought that is a particularly, but it's not a good thought, you have awareness to look at it and just drop it or let it be. Sometimes it's hard to do that because it's a big thought, like you're not good enough, you know, or something stupid like that. But when you have the awareness that, oh, that's a thought, you can create distance between yourself and the thought, and then you can drop it. And then Mm -hmm. you can affirm something positive you want to, or you can just drop that thought. And it puts you in a different place and enables you to make a different choice and a different action. And you repeat a different cycle. And that's where your power lies. That's where your agency is, how you respond. And that's what meditation has done. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. And I guess I do meditate, but not as regularly as I used to. And when I used to do that, I had seen exactly what you're saying. The, mm-hmm. you know, what, what we are saying is calling yourself. It's just that you don't become the thought. You don't jump on that boat of thoughts and then yes. ride it. You just see them passing by and then watching them. And that's a really strong power. Like it's a superpower, actually. Absolutely. And what happens if you don't do that? And this is what people don't think about. Someone put this in words for me and I thought, wow, that is so powerful. Say someone says something and you don't react well to it. First of all, that's your choice. People don't always think that. But how you respond, your power lies in how you respond. You can't Mm. control a lot of what happens to you. Your agency is what you do with that. But say someone says something and you're upset about it. And then 
you sit at your desk and you think, oh, I can't believe he said that. And then you sit and you stew. So that thought becomes a thought form mm. and that becomes an emotion. Mm. And then you sit in that and that emotion grows and becomes resentment, anger, whatever. Whereas if you can just look at the thought and say, okay, that's just a thought and drop it. So it's the difference between gripping, holding on to the thought or dropping it night and day. It's incredible. It, it takes is. practice. You know, this is a lifetime of learning. This is a journey, <laughs> but oh my gosh, you know, so different, a different way to live. Definitely. And do you still find yourself going like, oh, I can't believe he did that or she did that to me. Do you, do you find yourself in that anger staircase? The beautiful thing about this work is that the awareness and the choice happens more quickly. Okay. So sometimes, yes, you know, I'm still on the journey, but less often and with less intensity. And I can catch myself and I can laugh at myself. I can <laughs> I take myself less seriously. Or if I'm not, my husband is. So then I kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> Because your husband is in the same journey as well. I remember, right? You did it together. That's tough, man. He can catch you then. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Rene, we're coming towards the end of this. I'm so happy. It was such a delicious chat as usual. I wish <laughs> I wish we could we could have hours. So I'm going to ask you one last question. And oh. this is my signature question, right? Okay. So you know the name of this podcast is She's Awesome. And the only reason I came up with this name was because including myself, I noticed that women cannot actually own their awesomeness and own their greatness. So my question to you, Renee, is why are you awesome? <laughs> well, that is a brilliant question. And I am awesome. And I don't say that. The difference is I don't say that from ego. I say that from humility. And I teach this too. So I'd like to just give a little bit about what I say about this. So I say, a lot of people think I'm not enough and they go outside themselves searching for everything and anything to make them enough. And that's never going to work. And I say, of course you are enough because your life on this earth is meant to be, you're not an accident. You're here on purpose because you are energy. We are all energy and energy is never destroyed. You're a being of light. You are already everything that you want to be. Your true self at your core is perfect because you're part of the earth. You're part of nature, which only and always creates perfection. Consider a tree, consider an acorn, consider a butterfly. And I say, feel the sacredness within you. Free the goddess within you and know that you can do anything that you want to do. We are all awesome and amazing. Oh, I'm going to cry now. Thank you so much. It was amazing. The most beautiful answer I've heard. And yes, thank you very much for giving us that answer, Renee. And thank you for being here with me and sharing your time and your wisdom and experience as a women entrepreneur in this world. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. It was great to see you. And it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at academyv.com. You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.